Welcome back to the Paper Pencil Podcast. I am Swarnavo, the host of this show where we talk about art and the artists behind them, their stories, experiences, learning, inspirations and a whole lot of other things. Now, a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast and if you happen to enjoy this episode, tell your friends about it. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media stories. Now, I am recording this episode around the Diwali holidays here in Bangalore. And you may hear some crackers in the background, like it's going in the background right now. I'm not sure if you can hear it. But yeah, just just letting you guys know from before, if you can hear something in the background, that's and which may sound like gunshots especially. But yeah, that's a cracker here uh, in my apartment. Anyway, so today I am really happy to finally have Nishant as a guest. Now, Nishant and I have been in touch ever since Paper Pencil Podcast began last year. Nishant hosts his own art podcast called the Sneaky Artist Podcast, where he invites urban sketchers from all over the world and tries to understand their way of looking at things. In fact, his episodes with uh, Rob Sketcherman, or as I like to call him, the iPad guy, and the one with Paul Heaston are my personal favorites. Nishant is also from Calcutta, but right now he is based in Vancouver, Canada. He is an urban sketcher himself. And he's also a writer and, of course, a podcaster. So I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation with a fellow art podcaster about his experiences in this long-form content medium. So Nishant, finally, welcome to the Paper Pencil Podcast. I'm so happy we are doing this. Hi, Sornobo. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Right. And and especially, I think we've been in touch for what, like, as I said, since last December, if I'm not wrong, or at least Jan for that matter. I remember in the early few episodes, we started talking and I'm, I'm uh, again, of course, have looked forward to your episodes and your guests as well. My God, like the people I look up to, uh, of course, from outside the country, like, and, and you've had them quite a few of them for that matter, even, even a few uh, people from India. Like, I think the other day you were talking about, uh, I think, uh, Tambawala, right? Zainat Tambawala. That's right. right. Uh, again, and a beautiful uh, artist as well. I think she does a lot of children's book illustrations as well, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, so she she studied to be an animator and then she did some children's uh, film animations as well. And oh. then she's worked in some book illustrations, I think. But anyway, the, 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 this, this episode is not about her. It is mm-hmm. about you and of course, the sneaky artist. Uh, so again, the name that you go by. So, you know, I would... Of course, for, for the plan for today's conversation, uh, Nishant, is of course to know a little more about you and your journey. And I would also like to really understand your experiences with this whole art podcast thing. Because again, I am pretty sure you and I would have a lot of these pain points in common uh, and a lot of these uh, good experiences as well. So, you know, let's probably begin with your journey and how did the whole, uh, like, how did you land up as a podcaster? And uh, maybe we can take it from there again. How does it sound? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So all of it is quite accidental. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't plan to be an artist and I accidentally became an artist. Mm -hmm. I, if I hadn't, then I wouldn't also be a podcaster. I think the podcast more directly is a child of the pandemic. Maybe if Mm -hmm. not for the pandemic, I wouldn't have started a podcast. But maybe it's more relevant to say how I became an artist because I studied to be an engineer, like most mm-hmm. of us in our generation. Right. I studied mechanical engineering in Manipal. Uh, I was quite uh, enthusiastic about the things I learned and I wanted to know more. 
and I did a master's degree in engineering as well. I went to the TU Delft in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And uh, through this whole time, what I really wanted to do, my childhood passion was that I wanted to be a writer. Oh. And I'd always been writing on the side. So in the final year of my bachelor's engineering, I started a webcomic. That was mm-hmm. late 2009. I started a webcomic. Mm-hmm. And I drew stick figures three times a week. Then I started my master's program. I kept doing that and I kept taking opportunities to write as well. I also had a consistent blog. I would write stories. I would write jokes. I would write uh, scripts for things. Mm -hmm. I started while I was in the Netherlands, while I was doing my master's degree, I started writing for a couple of YouTube shows in India. I started writing for, uh, there was this satire puppet based show on ndtv for a short time oh called gustaki maaf correct hey, gustaki maaf correct I, I i think i wrote a bunch of episodes the last few episodes before it shut oh. down in 2015 so i was writing for that uh i i wrote some short films with friends i made all kinds of like i just kept doing things i always wanted to write uh-huh. and i was halfway into a phd program Mm-hmm. before I decided that this is not what I want to do. I really just want to write. Mm-hmm. And I quit my PhD program. And I happened to be in Chicago at that time doing some research at the Northwestern University. Mm-hmm. And I quit the PhD program. My girlfriend at the time, now my wife, she was living in oh, Chicago as well. Thanks. So I <laughs> at the moment you her. said my girlfriend at that time, my heart skipped a video. Like, okay, please, 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 please. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm glad that happened. Okay, huh? yeah. so then I moved in with her and uh, I decided, okay, now I'm a writer. I left academic academics and engineering and all that stuff and mm-hmm. started the job of being a full-time writer and cartoonist. Mm-hmm. And about at that time, I had two big interests in my life. Firstly, I really always also wanted to be a better artist like I just wanted to make better comics I was tired of making stick figures and I thought that I want to tell these stories that need me to have recognizable faces and locations I need to get these skills to be able to suggest which part of the world the story is set in because I want to tell those kind of stories now I don't want to just tell three panel right. uh, jokes and I couldn't draw very well, although I you know like all people like I've been drawing since I was young everybody draws a little when they're young but I'd uh, given it up and I was no good at it. The second big love of my life at that time became the city of Chicago. It's Mm. absolutely my favorite city in the world. It's super beautiful, even in the places where it's really difficult and ugly. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very complex, amazing city. And I decided that the way it would work for me, having tried all kinds of things before I decided the way it would work for me is maybe Maybe I take a sketchbook and I just walk around and every day I look at new things. And because I look at amazing things in this city, I love every day I will be excited and I will draw those things and I'll keep drawing until I learn how to draw. And surely that has to work because nothing else has worked. This has to work. So I started doing that and I did this. I self-imposed a project on myself called Uh, 30 days of Chicago in which 30 days I would go to different corners of the city and just Mm -hmm. sit somewhere and draw whatever struck uh, me as interesting. 
and it turned out to be easier to do than I anticipated. I didn't have any slump in the middle. I was super excited the whole time. And by day 30, I just, after that, I just kept going and I found that I was drawing better and better. And this sort of made me understand what was fueling this, this enthusiasm, what was making me draw better was that I was appreciating what I was seeing. I was appreciating my world. And that became a very core part of how I became an artist. Um, I, I discovered that there's this thing called urban sketching and right. there are people who do this. I'm not the only person this has occurred to. And I started meeting with urban sketchers and uh, I joined a chapter in Chicago and Later, when we moved to Wisconsin, I joined a chapter in, in the city of Minneapolis nearby. And I would meet them once a month or so and just hang out with them and sketch with them. And every time I sketched, I became a better artist. Every time I sketched, I did stretched towards something that I'd never done before. And it was difficult. And sometimes I had terrible drawings, but every time was just really joyful. And it was amazing to do. And I just kept doing it out of that kind of curiosity and that kind of fun until one day somebody just asked me to if I could sell a print. Oh, and wow. It had never occurred to me before this. I posted it on Reddit and somebody asked for a print and it had never actually occurred to me before this that somebody would want just a drawing from me. I'd been a cartoonist uh, on the internet for about eight years at that point, seven or eight years. And I'd always thought that the only way I'll make a sale is if I attach something funny to my drawing, it has a quote or it has a word bubble or something like that. And then maybe somebody will like it. The idea that somebody could like just a drawing that I made just for itself was insane to me. <laughs> so somebody okay. wanted it. I printed it and I sold it to them. I met them and I was amazed. And it happened a little more frequently as I started to post my drawings online. And that's how I, over time, I realized over a few months that I'm quite suddenly becoming not a writer and artist, but an artist and writer. And I started to sort of accept that word for myself that I guess I'm an artist. If everybody knows me for my art and they want to buy my art, I guess that makes me an artist then. And that's how I became an artist. I more gladly accepted the term urban sketcher because it was such mm -hmm. a, it's such an amazing community and I love being part of it. Right. And I love doing it everywhere I go. I carry a sketchbook with me and I carry my pen with me and I'm ready to draw even if it's five minutes. And then the, when the pandemic came uh, a few years after that, it, what it did was it cut off the supply that I was getting of meeting urban sketchers, drawing with them and learning from them, watching them do their thing peering over their shoulders. And I didn't like that. I wanted to keep going forward. So I was thinking about ways that I could keep learning. What is the way that you can get somebody to talk to you for two hours? You can't just call them up. <laughs> so a podcast is a nice excuse to do that. I'll, I'll talk to Absolutely. them. I'll ask them about these things that I want to know. My podcast is only directed by my curiosity the people i speak to i only speak to them because i want to talk to them it doesn't have to do with their level of fame or their relevance 
or otherwise whatever their standing is it's only about my curiosity the only things i talk about are the things that make me curious i rarely if ever ask them what pen they use or what mm. brush they use because those are not things i care about mm. and those things really don't matter once you draw yeah. a bit you know that it doesn't matter what tool somebody uses it doesn't help you to know so i don't do those questions i only talk about the things that make me curious and i am the first person the episode has to satisfy in terms of a conversation and after that i'm more than happy to share it with my lovely audience and to to get from that whatever it brings but that's how the podcast started it was just me needing to continue my education and also i had this idea in the back of my head that i've benefited so much from being in the right place at the right time running into urban sketchers that it's really unfortunate if other people who might be in my position that at the position that i was in a few years ago right and the pandemic is stopping them from learning from bonding so a podcast is just i've i've enjoyed podcasts i've listened to so many podcasts and they're such a good source of companionship as well as learning for me that i thought it's just a good way to to keep this edu- self education that self education trip that i'm on to keep it going nice nice and i love the fact and i completely understand and agree with the fact that you know uh, starting the podcast was probably more of your need than anything else because same for me like last year i remember again like the uh, when the pandemic was probably at the highest point and uh, again me being an extrovert and me actually like like i'd love to go out and talk to people and find myself in different places right and uh, again urban sketching is also something which being more confident about my art started off with urban sketching in 2016 i was in pune and uh, so yeah last year 2020 when i realized that you know i can't really go out and talk to people anymore i think that's where the whole need to kind of put myself out there and uh, learn more from people came through and i absolutely agree that pretty much all of my guests even you today for that matter mm-hmm. uh, the fact that i am having this conversation with you or even i reached out to you is because i wanted to kind of understand something from you which i found right. probably would be interesting right and uh, agreed yeah like i think over the last what some uh, 48 episodes this would be episode number 48 so 47 episodes the learning has been just amazing like i know uh because of the audio medium i couldn't see people sketching like you said like you would peer over their right. shoulders to look at it right so you wouldn't yeah. understand that but at least from the uh let's say point of view perspective or let's say even decisions artistic decisions that people tend to take right uh this podcast has helped me so much that way that that's absolutely true uh ticket so i i actually wanted to ask you a few questions based on the journey that you just shared sure yeah so uh one was uh, so you were working for gustaki mof is it that that's crazy yeah i was i was freelancing so i was uh, i i never met them actually in person i mm-hmm. was just what was it the way it's worked for me because i've always been an outsider to such things is that i do the job and i send it to them and then i say if you like it i can do more so oh. i wrote i wrote a script and i sent it to them and i said look here's a full script if you like it i can do more mm-hmm. and that's how that they, they just happened to reply to my email and um i think i wrote maybe 12 or 13 something wow. issues and uh, i mean episodes and yeah that was that was fun i've just i've always wanted to do that kind of thing political satire was 
really has always been really dear to me mm-hmm. and yeah it, it it's i've i've taken all kinds of writing opportunities to uh, uh, it does, did calcutta have any influence you on this cuz uh, this whole thing of political satire and like you know uh, having a political stand point is something i feel very calcutta according to me at least from the stereotypes yeah yeah it's yeah having a political stance is such a calcutta thing but also uh newspapers are such a calcutta thing yes. and that's where yes. i would read political comics so rk lakshman i think was right definitely the the big inspiration for me we uh, not only got the times of india but also we had his books mm-hmm. of his uh, cartoons and i would read those uh, like growing up and i really have always believed in the power of a joke to say mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. you can't otherwise say to people Right. like so many serious things especially in india we don't talk about so many serious things but right. if you couch it in humor it is possible to mention them it is possible to say unpleasant things if you can make someone <laughs> laugh at the same time so that's something that i've always held as true and that was the reason why i wanted to do uh, i i wanted to do humor in different mm-hmm. ways and whether that was politics or social or bollywood like a lot lot of my stick figure comics were about uh, the different tropes in bollywood that i've mm-hmm. seen growing up and it was always the idea was that if i can get somebody to laugh then i can say anything nice and uh, of course in that point uh, gusta came up because i remember as a kid as well growing up watching that i, I used to be very uh again uh, look forward to those cuz again like the way it was done was very different from the regular stuff uh gusakima was definitely on top of the list when it came to you know what doing political satire and actually landing a punch uh and which is which is about something which is very serious on ongoing topic and the fact that you were in that is crazy but <clears throat> again i don't know uh again not going political but again uh currently how the situation is when it comes to doing political satire i don't know if uh, it would any more be a safe thing to do i'm using the word safe very uh, uh, consciously here but anyhow so that that's that's one part of the story which i want to understand uh, second would be uh, you know i am very interested in knowing because you are a fellow urban sketcher and also you kind of caught into it very organically it's not like somebody said okay hey there's something called urban sketching there there is this group called usk come over that's that's not the thing that happened for you right so how was can you can you take me through your first ever urban sketching experience like uh, without even knowing let's say it was urban sketching the first time you ever took your pen paper outside and you kind of was were there in the public because i have been through it i know how daunting it can be the experience but also yeah. very rewarding so how was yeah. that for you yeah sure so uh, i was in chicago and i made a couple of decisions first decision was that i would draw with a pen and i wouldn't use a pencil nice the idea here was that uh, i'm a perfectionist and i'm perennially dissatisfied with my own work so using a pen would let me not erase anything and i would have no choice but to keep drawing and to turn the page and to keep drawing so the idea was that it will help me finish more drawings even if they're bad drawings i just want to go through a lot of work and then arrive somewhere good so this was a very conscious decision that i'll use a pen at that time i was using a fountain pen for writing because i was writing a lot after having quit academics 
the idea being that I'm going to be a writer. And uh, I had this fountain pen that I was writing with. And then I would type those things back and that, that typing it on the computer would become my second draft. Uh, the editing. Yeah. So uh, I took that same fountain pen with me. Later, I discovered fountain pens are actually popular in the urban sketching community. And Was it a Lamy it, by any chance? Because Lamy... It was a Lamy, yeah. Uh, there you go. So Lamy is a big deal in the urban sketching world. It is. Yep. yep. Yeah. So this was the first uh, rule I set myself that I'm drawing with a pen, no pencils, no underlines, no erasing. The second was that, like you mentioned, it's so daunting. And I felt just this stupid, senseless, like a shame of a kind that, you know, I'm this grown adult who's sitting around drawing people with the idea that he will learn how to draw. It's such a bizarre situation that nobody should find out about. So I'm going to be sneaky. I'll just sit somewhere oh. in a corner in a cafe. Nobody will see me. I'll take the corner seat. I'll draw very quickly. And then I'll get out of there before anybody notices. So this was my first idea of what sneaky art would be that I'm just here. You won't see me. I'll be gone. I'll take a quick sneaky picture and right. no, nobody should notice. Right. This is very important. Nobody should look at me do this silly thing nobody should want to see my sketchbook and uh, I won't have to have these uncomfortable conversations explaining myself so I did uh, with these things in mind I went to this Starbucks downstairs at the corner and I sat and I I just thought about what do I what do I want to draw like okay here's this counter here are these people what do I want to draw and from the start like even from early childhood, I've always been good at what I dismissed as just copying. I can always look at things and draw them, but I can't draw from imagination. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I used to think that this makes me a lesser artist, that if you can, you can like, Im imagination is only thing that counts for art. And if you are just copying, you are quote unquote, just copying. I, so I can not so art. relate to your story so far. I can so relate to pretty much everything that you're saying. Yeah. So uh, that's that's what I did. I just copied in a sense that I'm copying with my fountain pen on paper, but I'm looking at this thing that's happening in front of me, all these people doing things. And this is something that has just fascinated me about the US that anywhere you go in this country, you see these absolutely crazy people like it's wild how free people are to express themselves like people are just so odd in public which is not how we are as a people as Indians right. Right. they just express themselves they just do crazy like they'll dress up crazy they'll say crazy things they'll be loud and they don't care if anybody's listening and I was just fascinated by this, that what, what are these people that I was just looking at them all the time. And so that's what I drew. I drew these people around me doing these things that fascinated me. In a sense, these people gave me the mandate to do what I wanted to do. I looked oh, at nice. them and I was like, if they can do it, if this person at a comedy club has the, 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 the courage to go up on stage, he's not even funny, but he's doing it and he's going through five minutes of pretty average material, why can't I do what I want to do? So in a sense, right. they gave me this, this license to chase my, my own passions. Lovely. And uh, this, these are the people that sort of inspired me and therefore they inspired my art. And it was a process of discovery, I guess. I didn't know what I would draw, but every day for the, that project of 30 Days of Chicago, 
my idea was that I'll walk and I'll look and if something strikes me as interesting, that's what I draw, no matter what it is. I don't know from before. I don't have a plan. I just go out with a blank page. And the first day I sat in Starbucks and what fascinated me was the line of people at the counter and this really mm. old person uh, sitting hunched over reading a newspaper because you don't often see people reading newspapers anymore, but you always see old people still reading newspapers because mm. it's mm. this format that has been part of their life for so many, for so mm. long. So he was doing that and he was, he's the center of that drawing. And I, I drew him, I drew the way he, I think he'd taken his shoes off or something like that. So I drew him like that exactly. And then I started drawing the rest of the scene. And by the time I did the rest of the scene, this person had left and someone else was sitting in his place. And it was this interesting thing that I'd made. Like I was very excited by it mm-hmm. for not because of how good or bad it was, because compared to what I draw today, it's not good at all. Just way too much uh, work for too little uh, output lot of reasons why it's not good art, so to say, but I liked having done it. And for those, for that one hour or so, I was just in this zone. Like I wasn't thinking about people around me. I wasn't thinking about what my, what, what I'm trying to do, why I'm doing it, what I'm going to do later, any worries or concerns about the world, nothing. I was just in this thing that I'm looking and I'm observing and I'm trying to notice things about people maybe somebody's like it's February. So it was cold. So somebody's got their scarf a certain way. Somebody's wearing a jacket a certain way. So I look at it, I try to draw it. And then I look at it again and again and again. And I started noticing more and more things about that, that I wasn't paying attention to before. You think you've seen somebody and you understand, okay, this person has a scarf, this person has a coat, but the real textures or the weight falls on their body, all of those things you do only see at a second and third glance. So I was giving them that attention. I was giving this, this scene, that kind of time from me. And that exercise is what has the real value. So this is what I do everywhere I go now. I look very carefully at all the ordinary things and just doing that is an amazing, amazing exercise. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, I think I may have mentioned this in some other episode, uh, not recently though, but yeah, uh, exactly the same thing, exactly the same thing. So I'll tell you what, I don't specifically remember the day I uh, stepped out with my sketchbook for the first time. I do remember my first urban sketching experience with the urban sketches community in Pune. That I, of course, I, I clearly remember, but, uh, the idea is the whole the whole point of you know being able to notice something uh, like you would have probably not noticed before. I absolutely agree. So I remember uh, so with the, the first time I went with the urban sketcher community in Pune, uh, we went to this one very old church, right? A very old church in this place called uh, Kharki. And uh, we went over there and this really old and Pune has this one. Uh, I think it's, I've not really seen that anywhere else as uh, as properly, which is, uh, I think they use rocks uh, to build or construct. Like I think the older buildings, I think with rocks, if I'm not uh, wrong, uh, definitely not your bricks and uh, sort of a thing, right? It, it, it's very rocky sort of a surface. I'm not sure 
uh, what that would be though. But this entire uh, church was uh, uh, built, of course, with these things. And when I sat to sketch, I, of course, the first thing was to kind of get the overall uh, shape on my page, right? And then I started noticing like these minute details, which I would have never noticed. And I think that day or that experience is even more memorable for me because of those minute things that I noticed. And I had that aha moment where I was like, oh shit, I would have never noticed this before. And I definitely would not have, right? And that I agree. And that's when I, after that, I think I could not stop because I would constantly have these pocket-sized sketchbooks. And uh, I remember I was going to Calcutta from Pune. Throughout the train journey, I kept on sketching a whole lot of people in the train because there's nothing else to do. People are just mm-hmm. sitting here, right? And it's not like your regular urban sketcher thing where people move on. Like you said, this old person, he was sitting. After a point, he just goes out, right? Uh, so again, that was, a, a, I would say, a comfortable thing. And also, I think you learn how to find shortcuts, right? Like I love the thing that you said, and I'll probably come back to it a little later in a proper way of that input output thing that you spoke about, right? The amount of input that you would give for a tiny or a large output, right? Uh, I think that I started learning when I started doing more dynamic things, let's say rather than a building, which of course would not move, I would do a street scene, right? And people who are standing somewhere, they would move. Imagine a railway station platform for that matter, right? And I think that's when you start, I don't know, figuring out shortcuts to draw people for that matter. I know you draw so many people. I'm sure you also have these shortcuts in place now to kind of quickly get something done uh, without having to kind of wait for them to be in that same position, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So drawing from observation is really a fantastic way to learn. It's uh, it's my favorite way to learn. I highly recommend it to everybody. And you, these shortcuts are essential to making art because in effect, anything you draw is a reduction of the thing that you see. If, if you're drawing from observation or even from your imagination, whatever the reality is, art is always reducing it in some ways. Either the colors are simplified or the lines are simplified or the composition is simplified you're not putting in all the quote-unquote information, literal information that is out there. So shortcuts are depending on your inclinations and your abilities and the different things that you're not only good at, but the things you're really bad at. All of those count because those are your particular shortcuts you take as a result of those things. And so this is something I say on my podcast a lot. We come to this idea of how important mistakes are. Mistakes are what, uh, so there's this quote by uh, one of my favorite musicians, Miles, Miles Davis. He says that once is a mistake, twice is an idea, three times is style. Nice. So nice. I draw with a fountain pen and that means that there are many things I can't depict. I don't depict color. I can't depict a lot of uh, shades and textures. So, and there are certain things that I just can't do. Like I don't draw feet in a lot of my drawings. For some reason, my people end at the end of their ankles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try, I'm not good at drawing hands. So I try to hide hands in okay. you know holding something or behind their back or things like that. So these things are mistakes. They're not, they're not loyal renderings of what is out there. They are reductions because of me. And these things the more I lean into them, they have helped me develop into what people call my style. And then people recognize it. And 
they say it's so easily recognizable that this has been drawn by you and that's because this is a particular set of mistakes that i make that i didn't try to polish away they're just there i i owned them that's that's really interesting and i agree uh when let's say i see a sketch done by you where of course and and you probably happen to do a lot of these people sketches you sketch a lot of people standing in different poses or whatever right like just just normal people uh, uh let's observation and i agree that there is this one certain style which is there a visual language that you have like a very let's say strong line work for that matter a very bold line i don't see you doing very sketchy line work your line work is yeah. always very solid and i i think you probably do it without lifting the pen too much is what i yeah so very often it's that so i just recently i put out this drawing of a bunch of people that i i do this often so i'll draw people who are at a traffic light and mm-hmm. if they're at a traffic light i have them for in that position for maybe 10 seconds if okay. i'm very lucky like from the moment i see them i have 10 seconds like Correct. all the time of should i draw them should i not draw them then drawing them then finishing all of that is within 10 seconds if i'm lucky sometimes it's less so these kind of pressure situations are very important i i believe they're very important because they make you take decisions right then you don't have the time to procrastinate or to hesitate and that is a good quality in an artist to trust your instincts to back yourself so what i end up doing as a result i'm drawing with a fountain pen there's no lighter line or darker line every line is right there this is the solid line so i can't be indecisive it shows you can see me being indecisive my lines will tell you that this is an indecisive line so if i am imbibing this quality of being decisive of leaping at what i want to do that is reflected in the line and i very consciously therefore so for these traffic signal drawings are single line drawings mm-hmm. and if you make single line drawings you're making one really long really convoluted line Correct. and you learn to back yourself through that that i'm going to show shoulders waist legs scarf clothing glasses hairstyle everything with this one line that i'm going to keep pulling i'm not going to back away from it in 10 seconds so you learn how to you learn how to break down what you're looking at you learn how to sort of dissociate from it and you learn how to make lines that can depict those things in simplified forms so i do that in 10 seconds or less then i, I draw other people and i'm always doing this thing that i'm i'm breaking down firstly i learn how to see faster i don't have time with them they might move any moment like i could draw someone at a cafe and in one minute they leave i don't know when they'll when they'll depart do you squint your eyes do you do that the squinting technique sort of yeah so squinting what is squinting squinting is a way to sort of not see the details and to see like larger shapes right yeah. and you have to do that essentially in different ways you have to not get bogged down in textures first first what you do is you want to see what is the shape of their shoulders to their body and how is that coming across to me in a two dimensional way like you have to slap them against a two dimensional surface and see how that shape appears to you and you have to not see it as a shoulder you have to not see it as a waist or a torso or legs right the moment you'd see it as that the so there's this uh, difference and i talk about this in my newsletter like this difference between seeing and recognizing moment you start to recognize it as a face as a nose as a foot as a hand you start to now compare it to 
how hands should look how Very feet should look Very and then you get you start measuring your drawing against that and you're not drawing what you're looking at anymore now you're drawing in what that image is in your head how should a hand look and you're drawing that image so to draw really what i'm looking at and not something else i have to not recognize it i have to only see it i have to see where the lines are going i have to see uh the way that they are curving what is the angle of one line to the other and not recognize it as somebody's torso or somebody's foot or somebody's leg and i the more time crunch i put myself in the faster i am at doing this the okay. the less time i have for these hesitations and these other ideas to creep into me so in a sense drawing from observation being in these pressure situations of drawing people who might leave any moment Mm-hmm. it has taught me it has in, in, inculcated me into this school of drawing that you have to stop understanding you just have to see and then do it put that line down on paper that's that's again uh, pretty interesting you know what it uh, brought to my mind is uh, so i was talking to a few people the other day about uh, biases okay so this is a part of my uh, my day job so i'm a corporate trainer and i was doing this session or a training on biases implicit biases and uh, over there we were actually talking about this exact thing that you spoke about that you know our brain has this uh, subconscious especially has this habit of seeing something and trying to put it into a pattern or a template that it already has seen or let's say uh, uh, absorbed in in the past and then try and you know superimpose it and say okay this is it let's move on so you can process that faster and the best example of this is and and probably i'm sure you have done this i'm sure the listeners uh, you guys also would have done this sometime or the other is cloud watching so a lot of times what we do is we are looking at the clouds and like hey do you think that cloud looks like that animal or that whatever thing that the object right and that's exactly the same thing which is like you are looking at something which is absolutely abstract it's a cloud for god's sake right but then still you're brain is trying to find something recognizable a template a pattern that it can kind of superimpose and then move on to the next one and what yeah, you're essentially yeah. saying is to kind of cut that and uh, you know just look at it as lines as shapes as something very basic and not what it represents and also uh, you know uh, i i remember this as a kid uh, uh, there used to be this thing called uh, of course uh, rob remember mad in pogo so uh, this channel called pogo there used to be this one show called mad mad uh, i don't think i've seen the show yeah, but you have you heard about that it was very popular when we were growing up i think i think so yeah right so so there was this i'll just tell you quickly so context uh, uh, pogo like the the uh, the cartoon channel right uh, but they had this one thing called mad mad which was run by this guy from nid amdabad called rob uh, rob is of course like a big 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 deal and he's a really creative person uh, i think he's based out of goa if i'm not wrong but anyway so i remember him and this was years ago nishan this was years decades ago but i still remember that one technique where let's say you are trying to draw something and let's say of course not from let's say observation as in real life let's say from a photo for example right so you have a photo of something you're trying to draw that or a picture of something so the idea is you flip that photo as in you kind of turn it around rotate it mm-hmm, so that it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not it's it's upside down right and sure, that yeah, is yeah. when you start drawing that because now when it is upside down you are forcing your brain not to kind of associate it with 
what that picture actually is exactly right yeah right yeah that's and, that's a very effective technique yeah exactly exactly and i remember doing that uh, honestly i was not too happy with the results because i was like oh no this should turn out exactly because i could not disassociate myself as a child back in the day right so but i absolutely get that but you know where i have gone into and i think uh, of course this is uh, personal preferences and everything uh, nowadays i do i don't know why i have started thinking this way nishant uh, see when you look at something or let's say you look at uh, let's say stand in your balcony and look at the street for that matter people are walking by you would have this instinct to draw right away as is and kind of maybe your representation of that right as quickly as possible i have moved into this space now and that's something which i do let's say i'm having my morning coffee standing in the balcony i see some uh, let's say a mother and a son walking down the road right i don't know why i have started doing this i take a mental picture of that let's call it if i really get inspired by that scene or a pose and i try to make an illustration out of it which of course takes i don't know one day two day for that matter to completely develop uh, into the actual thing but that's somewhere i have moved towards uh, lately and and mm-hmm. uh, i do enjoy urban sketching a lot and i do miss going out and doing that actually but uh, i don't know i think uh, i don't know this is again be a personal preference or something of where i am headed towards or the style that i am kind of finding uh, but yeah i think i think that's something which i'm i was just trying to you know the, the contrast the ideas but yeah. anyway anyway makes sense uh, tell me about uh, the urban sketcher communities that you have been a part of because when i was a part of them and even in the bangalore chapter i would love to go and i'm just not getting time maybe but uh tell me about your experiences with the community at large because urban sketchers i don't think i may be wrong i of course don't know a lot but there's a good chance that in the art community as a whole urban sketchers is probably one of the tightest communities in that form i may be wrong but i really have not seen any other let's say art form have such a strong presence in terms of a community and people meeting up on a weekly basis for that matter having right. chapters in almost every major city in the world right yeah, yeah. what has been your uh, thing yeah so community? yeah you're right in a lot of ways uh, it is quite a close knit community so i wouldn't use the word tight because it implies that it's uh, closed off to others the reason <laughs> why it's everywhere is partly because of the the best things about it that i've also experienced in that there is no real hierarchy mm-hmm. it's a very flat community you don't have to seek permission to become an urban sketcher part of the fascination i have with speaking to urban sketchers on my podcast is that urban sketchers can be anything mm-hmm. they are not necessarily professional artists there mm-hmm. are architects there are uh, people who aren't at all related to the visual arts business in any way whatsoever there are like their day jobs could be lawyer or just working in a in a in a corporate somewhere and they are simply united by this thing that it's a good way to spend your time to go out in your world and to observe it mm-hmm. and to make a, a drawing is almost an excuse that lets you do these things like it gives you the mandate because you're drawing to sit somewhere and to look 
and that's something that's becoming so much rarer now we don't give ourselves that kind of time to really just look at things to look at our environment and to observe these cities and these streets and these cafes that that are such a part of our lives that but we're we're giving them the least amount of attention that we can mm-hmm. and urban sketching is more about doing that instead like Mm. finding some time in your day to just give attention to to the things in your world and what i found i i was involved with the chapters in chicago and the one in minneapolis the greatest joy for me was this that firstly anybody is part of it Correct. you don't have to use a certain tool to Correct. be part of it you don't have to be so and so proficient to be part of it you can speak to anyone there you can learn from anyone there everybody is open to teaching you so urban sketching has these seminars and these symposiums and what's really amazing is that you can be a teacher and also a learner at the same time so for example shari blaukoff was a student in my workshop in 2019 urban sketcher seminar in chicago and that is just wild because she's like such of an amazing course. artist yeah but this this flip between student and teacher is very quick it's you don't have a specific identity that you are so and so artist so now you are a teacher and everybody comes to you and that's why they are urban sketchers so they can somehow contact you everybody is learning from everyone else and that is a very generous attitude and i think it's a little different in other fine art communities in that skill sharing and knowledge sharing is not so open correct it because again urban sketching is not just about the art itself it's about so many things and there are so many ways to add value you can be not as good an artist but you can still add value in terms of what you depicted mm-hmm. you can be not as good with technical skills but your composition could really matter or the story you tell could really matter so right. it it simply values everybody's contribution in a very different way this makes it easier for anybody to be part of it it makes it easier for anybody to uh to appreciate their world i think generally this idea that the world that you live in is worth appreciating is something that appeals to everyone even if they're not artists correct so more and more people want to be part of it more and more people want to do this and that makes it super interesting the the group in minneapolis i remember the first time i met with them it was so amazing to me that finally there are people like we went to a cafe and we sat down and almost uh, as if it was timed all of us took out our sketchbooks and started drawing and i just looked up and i thought wow all of them want to do exactly what i wanted to do right. then we're not we're not wasting time talking to each other we really just <laughs> wanted to sketch like no no like small talk before and Absolutely. then shyly taking out your sketchbook and like a chuck and i draw none of that like this is what we're here for this is what we do we can do absolutely. it absolutely so that really felt like such a great moment to me that finally i'm around people who do want to do the same thing and that's like a it's it's a super uh heartening thing and it gives you so much confidence to that that you're doing something legitimate like i was there with a sketch with a sketchbook and a fountain pen and there were people taking out watercolors and right uh, the whole you know, stand and everything water, the whole uh, like water boxes and all kinds of things like all these brushes and everything was spread out around them and it made me feel good that okay i'm just a guy with one pen i i'm allowed that is true and you know i'm surprised uh, that 
the experience that you had with uh, that chapter in Minneapolis uh, was so close or not so close was exactly the experience I had in Pune when I went there for the first time right as a I would call it a noob right as a noob when I went as a beginner when I went there for the first time exactly the same thing so I remember uh, so in Pune uh, the chapter I remember they used to do it early in the morning I think it's from 8 o'clock to 10 uh, on a Sunday every Sunday 8 a.m to 10 a.m and I think the Bangalore one they do it on a Saturday I'm not sure but anyway so I remember going there and uh, there's this church right and uh, I go there and of course I was traveling from a long distance so I took some time so eight o'clock so let's say I reached around 8 15 or something and I I did not know what to expect because I just saw them on Facebook I saw that okay this is the address I just went in I had no clue what to expect right and I went in over there and I go and see that uh, okay this church the area around it there are a few people sitting and just catching there's nobody to attend to you or say hi welcome please come in oh good to have you here nothing so I just went in and very awkwardly I found a place so I kind of thought, realized that okay maybe this is how you do things so I just took one place and I same here I, I, I of course did not just have a pen I had a micron and I had a pencil because I still I was not ballsy as you to go for okay let's just go only with ink because of course I I still wanted my uh, shapes to look that way. I, I had that crutch with me, let's call it. So uh, I, I sat there and uh, I started sketching. And of course, after a while, you're just completely into this whole zone, right? And exactly like you said, Nishant, I looked up and I suddenly saw so many more people had come in and they had started also sketching. And imagine when I started, there would be around seven eight people when i looked mm -hmm. up there were around 15 20 exactly double the number even more right. than that and uh, it just went on and i agree that nobody was there to judge you so uh, in the pune chapter i don't know uh, maybe in the chapter you can probably uh, validate this for me so in the pune chapter they used to do this and at the end of the whole thing everybody would come out. together uh, right so they would have their they would keep their uh, let's say canvas or pages a sketchbook whatever uh, on this yeah, one yeah. place and mm -hmm. uh, it would be kind of a tiny little exhibition like a little gallery. gallery that everybody Correct. walks and then looks and then they yeah, appreciate exactly. and then you take a picture exactly. Yeah. exactly all of that is like super useful you know like it makes you feel like you are equal again like you don't have to your sketch doesn't have to be this good mm -hmm. in order for you to deserve to show it or for somebody to appreciate it and I think it sets in this culture of appreciating the experience. Very true. Because like, like I'm sure you had this same thing there that you can sit next to somebody sketching and you can sketch completely different things, even if you're looking in the oh, same direction. And Tell me about it, it, yes. It so much comes into it, right? Like the tools they use could be different. So therefore they're looking at that same scene differently. Right. Their inclinations could be different. So I've sat around sketchers who don't sketch people at all. So they're, mm -hmm. and we're in Chicago, which is a city of fantastic architecture. So they're sketching right. the buildings and uh, the et cetera, et cetera, details with colors and watercolors. And so they're able to show the light and the mm -hmm. shadow and all mm -hmm. of those things. But I'm sketching the people because there are also so many people and I'm just fascinated by them. And then maybe I throw in a bit of the building behind it and as an afterthought almost. So we, we sat next to each other, but we drew completely different oh, things. Absolutely. And that makes the point of what we did so much more than whether we did like a quote unquote great sketch. Like mm -hmm. I want to look because I want to see what they saw and they want to look at my sketch because they're curious about what did I look at this whole time. And it brings in all of these things that are so much more important than the quality of the sketch. Like 
just who you are as a person what did you look at what fascinated you what made you curious how did you depict it with these tools that you used and how did i do it with these tools that i used and what does that mean so this is something i end up asking a lot of my guests on the podcast like people who use watercolors inherently see things a little different from people who draw with line because i am looking at borders and shapes mm. and they are looking yes. at volumes and yes. areas and they are looking at how the colors are blent so even the strategy with which they go into the page is so different like i can start my rule is simple i'm starting with ink and i'm starting at the most interesting thing and then i'm spiraling outwards from there mm-hmm. and with colors you have to strategize the whole thing like what's going to mix with what what's going to blend not blend with something else where are your borders going to be of mixed immiscible colors hard edges, edges exactly correct all of these things are interesting because again once you are looking at the color again you're not looking at the sub, the objects as they are True. because sometimes the green extends into somebody's body from the grass True. or the blue from the sky extends into the water so that hard edge is not there correct and so now you're seeing the water and the sky as one object because you're depicting it in that singular fashion and that again is dissociating from what it literally is and recognizing it as what it literally is but now you're reducing it to the colors and i'm reducing it to the lines absolutely absolutely and you're right uh, so when that uh, gallery thing would happen at the end right uh, i remember when i placed it there of course for me the first emotion was should i even put it there because there were people with imagine a3 size pages canvases just throwing watercolor on them looks absolutely beautiful and i'm here with my pocket sketchbook which is like right. super tiny right i think i think smaller than an a5 size so of course smaller than an a5 size pocket right and i my first thing was should i even put it there is it even uh, worth it will it even count right and and then i remember somebody uh, he said like no no please go ahead put it we we uh, kind of pushed me in a way and i placed it there and then it was such a different feeling nishan it was such a different feeling cuz again i was like oh i fit here exactly the mm-hmm. things you said and like oh i fit here and then of course i walk around and i look at the other that's the second part of the story where i look around uh, at what people have sketched and that's the best part that all of us saw the same subject but the way we looked and depicted and decided and all of those things made such humongous differences and i remember there was this a uh, couple of ladies every time i went to that pune chapter i would see that they would definitely like you said people would have their own like you like to draw people more somebody would like to draw architecture right there would be these two ladies and and they were friends because they were always hanging around together uh, and they must be around in their 40s or something right and they used to come and the moment everybody sits down to sketch they would disappear so they wouldn't be in that so imagine this church thing right so they wouldn't be in the boundaries of the church they would actually start walking outside the church on the road and at 10 o'clock when they come back everybody would be surprised to see the things that they have brought from the outer world let's call right. it right and right. they did not look at the church as a subject but the things around the the life exactly around the church right. as a thing yeah beautiful yeah and that's that's partly why you know i really tell people that drawing from observation is much more superior than even drawing from a reference picture mm-hmm. because what a reference Definitely. picture does is it sets the scene for you correct what's right. in the middle of the photo is in the middle of the photo you can't correct. ignore it 
but when you're drawing when you're sitting on a bench and you're looking you can be looking at maybe just the top left corner of what would have been if you'd taken a photo sure. and but that top left corner is your whole site that's the only thing you're noticing sure. you could shift 10 feet to your left and you would see things completely different again you could move around a building and you could see it in completely different light again so i remember i spoke with mike daikubara on my podcast and we were talking about this trip he took to egypt and he was trying to paint the sphinx and the problem was that all the popular spots the you know the iconic images of the sphinx are mm-hmm. full of tourists who are taking pictures from there because it's iconic right so how are you going to sit over there and look cuz you can't sit you can't look and you're always in people's way so he had to walk around it around it a few times to find a different point of view where firstly where he was able to sit and where it was still interesting so this corresponds to how i do sneaky art right like i look at something that's interesting but maybe i can't draw because a lot of people think that's interesting that's my first idea that's where all the photographers are that's where all the tourists are i want to be sneaky i don't want to be around people so i have to go for my second or my third or my fourth choice of point of view what this yeah. does is i am now exercising artistic judgment i have to find value in something that was not my first choice that was in the ideal quote unquote ideal spot and i have to still find some value in it and i have to still find something i have to depict this in a way that is still worthy of the page so to say and this is what mike had to do he drew the sphinx from the back and he still had to suggest that it's the sphinx and he still had to find that value in that painting this exercise that urban sketchers put themselves through naturally because you are firstly maybe you don't want to draw what everyone is drawing that could be right. one motivation secondly you just you want to be comfortable in different ways some people like i'm comfortable standing and drawing some people necessarily want to sit because they've got more things etc right. etc I, 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 i cannot stand and draw yeah right so if you're sitting then you have to find a bench you can't draw where you saw it and it's like oh this angle is perfect you know the way the sun is hitting you can't do any of those you have to find a bench and so your point of view is changed and now you have to reckon with that point of view in different and that that becomes a challenge to you this again it these these constraints so this is an idea that i keep coming back to for my own art because i'm drawing with one pen but in the podcast we often talk about it is that it's a constraint you might think that to do your best job you don't want to have constraints you want to be completely free that's the idea no, right like right no you want to be you want to have all the choices you want so you can make the right choice you want to have all the options so you can choose the best option but what i find is that constraints actually set you free correct the more constraints you have the deeper you have to dig into yourself to find what is the best thing you can do because i have a pen i have to now see how can i say this thing with just this pen right i don't have the decision fatigue of infinite tools and infinite colors a lot of watercolorists will tell you this that it's so much more valuable when you go out with a limited palette because now you have to decide within those few choices how to and that's where the creativity comes out that's where the genius just comes out of you like you don't have to be super talented or super accomplished it 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 comes out from putting yourself in this restricted circumstances from putting yourself in these adverse situations imposing constraints on yourself is super useful so again whether you're drawing people at a traffic light whether you're painting with a limited palette 
just putting yourself in these places where you don't have a lot of choices, suddenly something magical happens. Agreed, agreed. And so two things I actually noted down so that I could, uh, I would remember to say that. So again, I absolutely agree on the fact that, you know, creativity thrives in boundaries. That's something which I completely believe in. And uh, for me, one of the biggest examples of that would be this whole prompt based sketching Inktober for that example, right? And this is November, Inktober just finished off for me. And this whole thing of, you know, uh, throughout my childhood I've been sketching since I was a kid like ever since I can remember right and there have been so many days when I would just feel like sketching something or drawing something I open my drawing copy as a kid and I, I'm sitting in front of it and I'm staring at that blank page page and nothing really comes up and there have been so many cases where I just get fed up after half an hour and just close it because nothing is really clicking for me right but then when it comes to let's say one the prompts that itself is a constraint which forces you to think in a certain way. So that's part one. The reason why I love the prompts of, let's say, uh, Inktober is because they're really very pinpointed and specific. They're mostly abstract. These words mm -hmm. are mostly like risk. I remember the last one I think was risk. Now, mm -hmm. what do you, how do you depict risk? What is risk? I, if it's a cup, I know I have to draw a cup, right? So there's this one thing which I, uh, I, I, self-imposed like you use that word right so self-imposed in myself which has worked mostly in a very good way for me is i call it like the six time rule uh, that's just a name that i came up with right? six time rule so the idea is let's say when you're thinking of the word risk uh, the prompt risk right now think of or take a paper and write down the first thing that comes to your mind with risk, whatever it is, right? You write down and then you don't go with that idea. You actually write six more of them mm -hmm. and then you will see, and probably more six is just like an average number, probably more sure, as yeah. well. But the idea is the more like the digger you deep, like you said, you will realize probably you will end up with something which you would never have thought in the first, second or third uh, iteration. Right. Yeah. So, for example, when uh, coming back to risk, uh, I don't know, I just, I remember on 31st uh, October, the last day of this year's October risk, I I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff, okay, somebody crossing the street, this, that, whatever, but then I really did not feel very happy with those ideas. And then suddenly out of nowhere, I think, I don't even remember how, but I got this idea of, you know, uh, so, I, okay, I, I remember the genesis of it, let me take two minutes to share that. Um, so my mother has this uh, very weird habit. Okay. Uh, so, and I was visiting Calcutta. I just come back from Calcutta. So uh, Calcutta memories were fresh. And my mother has this very weird habit. Uh, whenever she takes the, let's say, food from the kitchen to the fridge, she has this habit of stacking one thing on top of the other so that she doesn't have to make too many trips not that the house is huge or something but she still direct, likes to do that like carries everything in the stack sort of a thing and then goes to the fridge opens with one hand and then tries to fit everything in there and it has been like over the years so many times when she's of course dropped things because of, again it's it's very risky to carry it that way and I don't know that came to my mind and I did something which was like a whole full like uh, of course a slightly comical representation of a stack of uh, let's say cups and bowls and plates and this and that in a very risky sort of a, a not so balanced sort of a thing and at the end of the day Nishant I was just so happy with that idea with uh, you're right the skill part comes later but the fact that I could think of that idea and give it that particular turn was very 
I don't know, self-gratifying for me if yeah. I, I can use that word. It's it's also the key to good brainstorming, right? Like mm, absolutely. Write your first three ideas, throw them out because those have occurred to everybody else also. Absolutely. Right. So it's this and it's the conversations I have on my podcast, for example, are long form. Like I do three hour, four hour conversations because often that's what you find like people when you ask them a question, oh, why do you draw? you'll get a stock response right. since when have you been drawing you'll get another stock response because these are also questions they've been asked before right. or questions they've answered before in various ways so even with conversations you have to let it become Simmer. reach this level of immersion right. so that people are now give, now you're getting the real answers from people i've had these conversations that Sometimes for 45 minutes, I thought, I don't know what's happening here. Oh, yes. Like, I don't know if I'm getting it. Like, yes. you know, what I really, like what I wanted you to say to me. And right. this can be a factor of so many things. We're talking over Zoom. We've never spoken to each other. We're speaking to each other for the first time. So a lot of things come into this. Like, maybe you're not comfortable this morning in this way. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not comfortable talking into a mic, whatever, whatever reasons. But you have to do things until you get to it and part of the job of the interviewer is to make the other person comfortable in that way and sometimes it's a factor of time sometimes i've reached that 45 minute mark and then i suddenly see that my guest is leaning forward even as i'm talking they're ready to say something and i know that i've arrived at that moment like now you are going to give me the gold and i'm willing to like so it's it's sort of like that what you're saying that you know you have to you throw out those first few ideas and now you put yourself in this position where you have to think of something more and then almost you give up and then your subconscious throws something at you. Agreed. It's, it's almost like slow cooking, right? Like you cook something slowly to extract most of the complex nuanced flavors, right? And I agree even with the, uh, the interviews I have done so far, you're absolutely right that, you know, after a point with some people, it just immediately kicks off. And maybe also because these people have rehearsed those lines and those answers so many times right because they may have done that they're seasoned that way but with some people i have noticed you know with some people where i was probably not expecting the most deep slash interesting conversation you're right that after a point things just clicked somehow and then the i would come out of this room at the end of the recording feeling so enlightened and happy because I got something which which I did not expect. True. And the second thing which I wanted to uh, also kind of uh, come back and revisit and just, just justify that mm-hmm. is also you're right that, you know, when uh, especially when it comes to composition, when you are uh, sketching, urban sketching in this case, when you are doing it from a photo, most of the artistic decisions have already been taken and they are kind exactly. of given to you in that way. So there is nothing much you can do but to... Yeah. Take it like that and just do whatever you have to do. And that I feel is the biggest difference between, I don't know, like you, I think you used this word earlier, like you are a person who copies versus an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is is benefit to that. You could say that if a lot of decisions have been taken, it leaves you to do other things. So that is one way to look at it. But when you're learning, that decision-making is so crucial, like, backing your decision taking that decision and then going with it it is so empowering and so edifying like i think everybody needs to do that thing and if uh, we spoke about this with my guests also because a lot of us how are we doing things in the pandemic we can't go out so a lot of people have had to revert to drawing from photos 
and usually the thing people like so one group of uh, certain guests have advocated that don't do it like just look out of your window just look at things mm-hmm. keep looking at things and if you have to do it then at least make sure that these are pictures that you have taken yourself because then it's that's your composition one. that's a good one so there are there are things to learn from it and then there are things to not learn from it you can learn about color in some ways you can learn about color very well because it's a static image but in other ways you're not really learning about color because you're not doing that job of reducing 3d to 2d you're not like your eyes always understand color better than any picture like in that on that location that day and that task of bringing it down onto your page is a very crucial translation which mm-hmm. is skipped because a picture is 2d already it's already done this job of simplifying so many complex realities so and probably that, processed as well in terms of the color exactly Stone. right absolutely like, i mean every picture is a filter like mm-hmm. then on top of that you might apply whatever filter you want but the the hardware is in itself is already a filter Correct, so correct it's a filter that you have not chosen that's the, the main yeah, thing that's here. the camera sensor is what you're talking about the yeah, way it so, would uh, absorb light let's call it and you know there's a very good thing that i can think of like i was talking to one of my uh, rather uh, guests in one of the episodes rachna rachna mahadevan she's she's a fantastic watercolorist right and uh, she was talking about the same thing where she does these on location in a way and she she i think she also uh, goes out with the urban sketchers uh, bangalore chapter and uh, she does a lot of these let's say on location watercolor uh, of different scenes and whatever she's seeing in front of her and uh, both in india and outside as well so she she generally travels with her husband quite a bit and uh, she was actually talking about the same thing that you know the sky the color of the sky uh, in one part of the world is so different from the color of the sky in a different part of the world like i can mm-hmm. like you are from calcutta right you you've been there right so the calcutta skies are mostly grayish in color for whatever reason like a yellow ochre with a hint of gray around it right that that's just been there bangalore on the other hand has clear blue skies like with some white humongous fluffy clouds right mm-hmm. and that those i think those things you'll never be able to understand unless you are there and you see the light changing the shadows moving around and the whole color just changing in front of you and you're right the the uh, people who probably use color not just ink uh, would be more uh, i don't know observant towards those things i i, mm-hmm. I agree mm-hmm. so you know nishant i i uh, would like to kind of take this because the other day when we were talking i thought you know we should also talk about this as well because i found your take on this very interesting so let me set it up for you okay so uh, sure. to kind of uh, one of the things you said a while ago uh, about when talking about the urban sketcher community uh, how quote and quote tight they are right uh, so you said this one thing that there is no hierarchy in the community wherein uh, you would very rarely see or rather it is not very uh, rare to see let me just uh, uh, maybe uh, flip the sentence so it's not rare to see uh, a person who is new to the whole thing as in maybe not skillful as such training somebody who is probably quite skillful because they're training them on something different altogether and uh, i remember the other day when you were talking you you gave a very fantastic example you said uh, you know you never see this in any other form where 
people get into training so quickly as in i will train others on let's say the skill or the art or the craft for that matter right uh, so let's probably take this towards that so what do you feel about that well i think so firstly i think teaching is a great way to learn mm-hmm. like often if you are good at something you don't do a step by step process of it you are good at lots of different parts of it so if something was a 10 step process whatever it was as a someone who is naturally good at it you might be doing step 1 and then step 5 and then step 7 and then step 10 and just be done with it but when you teach someone you have to go linearly from step 1 to 10 and so that becomes a process of teaching yourself as well these things that i take for granted i can't take for granted anymore how do i explain it to someone i had right. to do this when i was teaching over zoom and i had to teach someone perspective and i have just learned perspective from looking at things and trying to draw it and it looks iffy i don't know why it looks a little wrong uh, there's something called horizon line let's try to figure it out right. and then 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 doing 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 and then suddenly getting this this is how things work for me like i they become intuitive and then they work for me i don't i don't like explicit knowledge in things i'm not comfortable with that idea for me the things that work are the things that work by intuition and i have to keep doing it again and again and again until it becomes intuitively part of my my skill set and then now it's clicking so teaching makes you understand things a little more deeply you don't take it for granted the way you did and i had to for perspective i had to approach these questions that people had how am i to answer them and then i had these aha moments in my mind that this is why i do this this way because this is what this means and they run into a problem that i sort of just hop skip and glide over and i have to address it now so suddenly i'm thinking i'm trying to figure out these solutions and i'm making myself go from step 1 to step 10 one at a time so i think everybody should impart skills to others if they've developed them secondly we have this unfortunate thing that once you're a teacher like once you know a certain level of person can be a teacher teacher means that you just you're a guru so that yeah. guru idea is really messed up it's not useful it's part of an imposter syndrome and it puts people on a pedestal and i just hate people being on pedestals at all i really like the idea of a flat hierarchy like mm-hmm. a flat setup so i think it's i think everybody has something to teach and i think urban sketching and urban sketchers communities allow you to express the thing that you know just share what you have learned it's like teaching is a is a is a word that carries certain uh, other meanings with it mm-hmm. but what i like is that to be able to share what you have learned with other people who are also learning so if you're part of this journey with people that's what urban sketchers are you sometimes learn from paul heaston you sometimes learn from shari blaukoff right. but they are just sharing what they are learning and maybe you have something to share that you've learned as well and that's all it is makes sense makes sense absolutely and okay so you know uh, another thing which i wanted to pick your brain on and uh, you also mentioned about this slightly uh, in passing earlier which was about the input output thing right like the uh, amount of input that you would give for uh, the output that you get and everything which which uh, definitely hints towards the uh, 
fact that probably you look at art in a much more rational way in a much more objective way is what i infer okay yeah, yeah, and right. from the conversation i had with you uh, like the the short conversation i had with you the other day as well uh, i did figure out that you have a very interesting take towards art and and i think you were sharing this example with me about your uh, the experience where you were selling your art for the first time in this mm-hmm. uh, uh, farmers market and everything right why don't you take me through that part why don't you take me through sure, that yeah. story and uh, how do you look at art yeah sure so like i mentioned i'm an outsider i've never learned i've never been taught art formally i i i studied as an engineer and i did my masters as a control systems engineer so i sort of have that understanding of the world in a lot of ways so it's just one other way of looking at the world and now i look at it in another way but it is informed by other ways that i've learned and the control systems engineering way of looking at the world is to look at it as information mm. and there are systems in which there are inputs and there are outputs right so when i look at the world i am taking in a lot of things and when i put out a drawing that is my output with a certain amount of information in it it mm. shows you certain lines it shows you certain perspectives it shows you buildings but i remove the information about the windows because i don't care to draw windows it shows you people but it sometimes takes away the information of their facial expression it takes away the information of the color of their clothes because no colors mm. so there is a certain amount of processing that i do on the input i take in and then i put it out i i can remember since you said control system i can remember your and gates nand and or nor yeah. gate right? <laughs> so you're basically passing them through those those gates and and sort of yeah that's yeah. that's the architecture but that's irrelevant you don't have to think about it in terms of those things you just have to think that <laughs> uh even when you're doing watercolors right so you're simplifying those colors to such a degree so there is a and a photograph now is all the information as much as you could get like if you take a picture of the scene so here's something i think about i think about how everyone has seen a photo of everything you can't show anybody a picture of anything that will surprise them everybody's seen it all so we're very jaded by information Mm-hmm. especially the amount of inform media information we get today everybody has access to everything and everybody's seen everything so they don't really care if and this is my personal uh, bias that i think hyper realist paintings are a great skill but i don't care for them personally as art like this is just a personal call right. that i don't care for them i'm sure people do and that's great but i don't because just take a picture like that's what i would say just why don't you just take a photo and apply a filter because that's also art like <laughs> photography is also art and if you're doing the same job then might as well in my opinion take a photo so when i was trying to sell art in wisconsin i was in this place where i had never been before com- surrounded by people i had never seen and complete stranger complete foreigner brown guy with a beard in rural america and i'm trying to sell art and i'm thinking at the back of my head very rationally why should somebody want to buy my art like why should they why should they care they don't owe me anything i don't deserve their attention what about my art will appeal to them why should they give a damn right and these are important questions like nobody owes you attention there are hundreds of thousands of artists and with one app people can see hundreds of thousands of artists why should they care about you it can't simply be that you're good at it because everyone's good at it there are hundreds of thousands of really good artists by the way so why you 
you have to offer somebody something that no one else can you have to be really yourself that's the only thing you've got you can be yeah. yourself very intuitively so that's what i am right i'm an engineer i think about optimization i think about input versus output ratios so i think very carefully and this comes across in my line work also how can i tell you the most number of things with the least number of lines i'm optimizing my work lovely how can i draw something in 10 seconds that tells you this is a person who was crossing the street how can i do it in a single line can that have value what is a single line drawing so these little people these tiny people i call them that i draw what value does it have like why is, do people care about it i think about that it's not that i'm doing it for that reason but it's something for me to think about and it makes my drawing better to think about it people care about it because once you have a simplified piece in front of you just a quick drawing it allows room for the imagination mm. now you have something to do because this piece is not giving you all the information it's not a depiction of a specific thing that exists somewhere that you don't know it's something that can occupy a place in your world you can imagine i saw somebody with you know carrying an umbrella the other day it was a black umbrella they were wearing a coat like this it was blue in color and now you're engaging with what i drew right i'm not giving you all the pieces for you to simply passively imbibe and be like oh good or bad you get to participate in it you get to put that person in your world a little bit this is something that i spoke about with someone in my podcast in episode 15 he's a war illustrator so what he does is he goes to uh, refugee camps in syria and uh, in the middle east other places and then in like eastern europe the border where refugees are coming in and uh, myanmar and places and he's drawing war zones and he's drawing syrian cities and places in africa etc etc and i asked him what what's the point like you're you're there with ink and watercolor what does it matter there are people taking photos there are people taking tiktoks there are people making videos cnn is 24/7 what does it matter what you do you are spending one hour there these people take a photo they go they take another photo they go they take another photo what does it matter what you do why why waste so much time and his thing was that people engage with art people don't engage with photos the same way that they engage with a drawing of the same thing Mm. and that's because every drawing carries a bit of the artist so it becomes an authentic vision of the person in that spot it doesn't carry this burden of being the objective truth like this is what happened you better believe it you can either believe it or you can say it's fake news and not believe it so that it's not reduced to this binary decision you can actually engage with it you can actually try to see how these things are depicting certain things you can put them in your world in different ways when you see a drawing of somebody waiting in line for food you are now putting it in your world and thinking of all the people you have seen waiting in line and it somehow becomes a much closer reality to you than it was before you can't divorce yourself from it the way we often do when we are jaded by photography and we are jaded by these thousands of images that kind of just jump into our head every time we take out our phones that is very interesting that is very interesting because what you're saying is uh, if i have to kind of again uh, understand what you say i think there are two schools of it one would be where i take a canvas and i pretty much put every detail that i can put on the canvas right so, so for example if you look at a painting 200 years ago right 
you look at uh, Rembrandt, you look at uh, right. Monet, you look at all of these artists, they're fantastic artists, right? And realism and all of that stuff, impressionism was happening. There was also no other way to depict the world. They didn't have any other way to show this is what it is in the morning in this part of the world when you're looking in this direction. There is nothing else you can do. When you're making a painting of a king, there is no other way for his image to survive beyond him. Now there are so many thousands of ways. Right. So now the artist has to think, why does he matter? Why, why do they matter? Why do they need to be? And that is a choice because you have so many media to choose from. You can be a photographer as an artist. You can be a fine artist. You can be a sketcher like me. You can use watercolors. You can use digital. You can use all of these things. It's not about the thing you use. Now it's about what you're showing with it. Mm. If you're trying to show the same thing that they were showing 250 years ago or the same style, then you are in comp you're putting yourself in competition with videos and photography mm. and all of these things. And even just remember there were these filters that came out that made it look like fine art. If you took a picture. Oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. Even your Photoshop had this one in their filter gallery called uh, mosaic or tile or painting. Right. Exactly. So now you're competing with that because exactly. that is also art, by the way. Agreed. Agreed. So, so do you want to be in competition or do you want to have a more clear, obvious, instantaneous reason for why your art is there? And that's a question that matters to me because I don't need to be an, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't my life's purpose to be an artist. I chose to become an artist. I decided I want to do this. So I'm here with very deliberate intentions and a deliberate idea of why I want to do this. So I have to think about deliberately about all of these things. How am I doing this? What am I showing? Why am I showing it? What is my argument for why it matters to you? If I live in rural Wisconsin, what is my argument to a person who was born and grew up there? Why my art matters? That argument need not be articulated in words. The art has to make that argument. When I'm now, I come to Vancouver in the middle of a pandemic and I'm trying to sell art here without there being any art markets. Why should they look at my art? Why should they care about my art? Why should my drawing matter when I just got here? All of these are questions that I have to answer for myself and my art has to answer for me as well. So, you know, uh, two things. So one, of course, uh, on a shorter note, maybe, uh, one thing which I've always felt, especially when it comes to, let's say, urban sketching, right? And I'm, I'm taking urban sketching because it's something which you do at a location of something. Uh, it's not out of your imagination in most cases. It's pretty much a depiction of what you're seeing in front of you in your own way, of course, right? I have always felt that urban sketching is a great tool for documenting history or documenting our times. Because let's say uh, a building that you went and sketched let's say in your notepad two years later that building is not there in that case your that illustration or your that sketch is a documented history that okay something like this existed and that's what uh, like you said like back in the day there were no photographs so of course historians would have to like kind of use those illustrations or paintings not of course illustrations so paintings to kind of say okay and probably see you and i have grown up in calcutta i'm sure you have seen so many 
paintings of calcutta you go to the victoria memorial right. hall right absolutely right? yeah so many paintings of calcutta where like oh esplanade used to look like this back in the day i can't even imagine <laughs> oh okay salt lake used to look like this salt lake did not was not there of course but yeah okay the ghats of ganga look like this okay and that is something so i believe urban sketching does that for you however uh, maybe there can be a wave by somebody maybe to kind of document them and you know uh, categor- categorically document them so they're not lost with the sketchbook that's one second thing on uh, on a continuation to what you were saying uh, so curious to know again i agree with what you said the fact that you know what people you need to answer the question why should you give a damn i'm going to use this word damn okay why should you give a damn and i have another parallel uh, experience to pull from so uh, i'm a corporate trainer right and this is something which i share in a lot of my uh, sessions i'm a corporate trainer again i did i was not trained uh, from before I, again just like you engineering of course i didn't do my masters but again i i started off so again i i've had my own uh, career path right and when i started off as a corporate trainer uh, what 7 years ago i was going through a few of these certifications that you would do right so things that you would kind of certify you as a trainer and one of the things that i was doing uh, uh, by i think dale carnegie correct so one of the dale carnegie courses that i was doing this this trainer he told us this one thing and uh, he said whenever you are standing in front of a group of people and about to open your mouth and speak as in begin your training per se right and this guy was from mumbai so he was speaking a bit of this in hindi he said that always imam imagine that your audience will ask you the question to main kya nachu which is why should i care so if i yeah, go and say okay guys so you know what you need to do things this way you need to manage your time like you need to this is the way you should be doing things like why why should i give a damn about this right and i can actually bring that same parallel that same analogy to art and again when you're trying to sell art you're absolutely correct that maybe the visual appeal the aesthetic bit of it is only a part of the whole idea i may go to a gallery and i can say oh that's a beautiful painting but never buy it but on the other hand what pushes me from that oh that's a beautiful painting to here take my money is what you as exactly right a person who's trying to sell the art is trying to answer for yourself and probably so the question i know it took a long time to kind of come to the question but So, what are the answers that you have found? So, when you ask yourself the question, "Why should somebody in Vancouver, in the middle of a pandemic, buy my art? Why should they?" Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, firstly, the first thing you mentioned about how uh, you know urban sketching is a way of dip, uh, documenting the world as you see it, and of course, now the world is changing very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just not not to push back against it, but just to consider. does that make van gogh also just an urban sketcher does that make rembrandt also just an ur- they were all painting literally the world they saw outside true, true. rembrandt was painting the latest technology of his time the windmills that was true. like you and i going to googleplex and painting google headquarters <laughs> that is like, a good example yeah that, that's what he was so all of them were painting the world as they saw it it's just now we have way more forms of art Hmm. doing being able to do that was already the biggest thing you could do because th- there's no other access to this kind of imagery there's mm-hmm. nobody else to paint the windmills 
you have to do it. There's no other way to sh give share image. Like Rembrandt also made hundreds of prints of his drawings, by the way. Mm -hmm. He was also a printmaker. Printmaker, so he correct. sold not only the big paintings, but also hundreds and thousands of prints to common, common people who couldn't afford uh, his original paintings. And he made, actually, he made the bulk of his money from doing that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are all in a way documenting the world. And even when we are working out of imagination and creating landscapes, we are documenting a world in a sense. Mm. Maybe this mm. world lives more inside our head than it does in the physical reality. So when I'm trying to sell art, I'm trying to think about who is my audience? Who are my buyers? I have to have an idea of it. It cannot simply be everybody should care because look how good I am. Everybody's good. So many people are good. Like you're not, we're not special simply by being good. Mm. We are special by being in the time and the place we are at and the person we are in that time and that place. Hmm. So I, as a brown person in rural Wisconsin in 2017, what do I see? What is this world to me? Mm -hmm. That is what I'm showing you. This is what it is. If you are me in this place today. Mm -hmm. And when I make that drawing to somebody, this is what I would hear from them. So one of the good things that I ended up doing was that I sold at an artist market, which was right next to the farmer's market. So every morning, every Saturday morning of summer, so for like 12 or 13 Saturdays in a row, I would set up a stall in the park next to people selling groceries and cheese and fruits and things. Mm -hmm. And I would be selling sneaky art. Mm -hmm. And uh, for six hours from 6am to, uh, to noon, I would be there and all these people would pass by and maybe some of them would stop and I would tell them, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Look at my art. And if you want, buy it. Mm -hmm. So I did two things here. Firstly, I learned how to, how to communicate my art to people. Mm -hmm. I observed them regarding my art. Mm -hmm. I could see things that I drew that I loved that they didn't look twice at. Right. I could see things that I drew that were just in passing. And I was like, okay, let's put this also. Let's see. Mm -hmm. And they loved. So I was able to gauge from that. What do people care about? These mm -hmm. are the people I want buying my art. This is where I live. What do they care about? Secondly, I would speak to them again and again about why I'm doing what I'm doing. They would ask me like, what are you doing? Like literally, what are you doing? Like, why are you an artist or why, how did you come to this part of the world? And I would give my motivations to them and that doing that again and again, like almost like pitching again and again as a startup CEO uh -huh. of some kind, it built into me these ideas of what is my value? What is, what is, what can I say in 30 seconds that they will take away with them? So what is the best things about me in 30 seconds? What is the shortest sentence? What are the shortest two or three sentences about me that matter? This, when you say it again and again as an artist, is a good way to understand why maybe your art should matter or can matter. So I picked up a lot of these lateral skills from having to do this, from being a seller. Mm -hmm. Another thing I did was that I was selling to the people around me. Like I had an Instagram audience and I'm selling some work online like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was trying to sell to the people around me physically in my proximity. Right. And I think that is a great lesson for every artist because um, the online world is one large market. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to sell your art online, that's great. And I've done that. Like that's how I started. So please mm -hmm. do it. But when you're online, you're in competition with everyone else who's True. online. True. 
So you have to understand that that's where you are. Now you have to understand where you are and now you have to meet that market in a different way. But mm. to appeal to your physical proximity, you might find that you're the only artist in five kilometer radius. You might find that you're the only artist in your colony or your neighborhood right. or something like that. And wh why is that not counting in your favor? Why are you not able to use that leverage that fact you have a market that you have cornered already simply by virtue of living in this colony? Correct. Why isn't every why isn't everybody in that colony interested in buying your art? Let's say if you're in a housing colony, what is the reason why not why they don't care about it or why they haven't bought it? Is it something? Is it simply that you haven't reached out to them? Mm -hmm. Is it that maybe the art you're making doesn't work for them? So what do you need to do to reach out to them? What is the art that works for them? You need to find these happy intersections of the two. My art was always about doing what I want to draw. Like, well, this is my curiosity. This is my world. I'm exploring it. But I found that I was also expressing it to people around me. So because I'm drawing on location, because I'm drawing in that moment, that drawing is a record of place and time. Right. Right. It feels to them. Like, so if I'm sitting in a cafe, I didn't draw that whole cafe from somewhere in the air. I drew mm -hmm. it as it appeared from that table that I was sitting at. Mm -hmm. This is how it would appear if you sat in that cafe at right. that seat. This is a cafe that they have been to for many years. So when I show them a drawing, it becomes something that they have seen all their lives maybe. Right. But now rendered in this new light, with this format. reduced information, oh. with this ideas of this person about what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he looks at, what he doesn't look at. It's a fresh perspective on something they had that this is how they expressed it to me. This is something, this is a park that I've come to for 20 years, but I never saw it in this way That's that you are looking at it. So this became my value that I was offering them that nobody else could. And it had very little to do with how well I draw. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's true. That's that's true. That's really true. You know, I'm also thinking at the same time that are you probably going? Uh, may I say this? So, are you probably going towards a direction where art is more of a commodity? Because the way you are looking, at least from my frame or let's say from my filters my gates let's call it uh, what i'm noticing is that you are trying to look at it and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing so because you're at the end of the day you're trying to sell your art that's as simple as that you have to make a living you are trying to sell your art that's what you do and i look at it the same way let's say when i look at let's say a product company for that matter when they try to pitch their product to the market or to the audience or to investors to anybody for that matter they also have to uh, approach it in that with that mindset which i am constantly noticing you also doing the same whereas i have also spoken to and have been around and probably have thought of this as well that you know oh art is not a commodity art is probably more something uh, i don't even know how to express mm -hmm. is is mm -hmm. like it, that's how subjective it can get right yeah, but yeah on the other hand you're looking at it in a slightly objective light right yeah i'm finding this very interesting i'm finding this supremely yeah. interesting because again this is opening a new way of looking at things for me right so what is your take on that like the art 
being a commodity versus as an expression of something yeah, yeah like i that's a great question so one of my favorite artists is vincent van gogh and van gogh is one of the greatest artists ever and his art today sells for hundreds of millions of dollars absolutely but while he was alive he yeah, never absolutely. sold a single painting and he committed suicide sure his motivations were irrespective of whether he was selling or not and that is something that is very true and that is mm. a very true a real love like he was not motivated to draw more or paint more because the previous one sold Mm. he wanted to do it he was trying to share something to the world he was of course plagued by this fact that it wasn't selling and mm. those are the reasons that contributed to his depression but it was not the reason why he did what he did not because he was a selling artist otherwise he would not have become an artist van gogh famously was not an artist until the age of 29 true, true. he decided to start painting at that age true so my reason to draw is not that so i can sell the reason i draw is that i am in this world which is very alien to me mm-hmm. and i'm trying to understand it i am trying to understand how to live in chicago so i need to look at these people i need to mm-hmm. see how they order their coffee and it's a better example in wisconsin because i had these images of chicago in my life and living in a big city is much easier mm-hmm. you can live in your silo but living in a small town where i did not intend to move to finding yourself living in this place where you don't have an image what you don't have a mental image of you don't know what to expect right you're in a you're almost joining somebody else's tightly woven circles you're trying to join because everybody knows everyone else here True. i am the outsider so i need to figure out how this place works that was my motivation for drawing here mm-hmm. now what's happened about art now is that so if you look at how art operated even 30 40 years ago say let's go before the internet mm-hmm. as an artist you do not have access to an audience because there's no internet correct you need certain gatekeepers who will judge you worthy mm-hmm. these yeah, are gallery least. owners correct who will give you space and now you will show it and these gallery owners have a grip on who sees your art because these are the people who walk into the gallery mm. these people who walk into a gallery are a certain level of socio economic class who will perhaps support you who will either support you regularly or they will simply buy your art and that will support you hmm. so your audience is coming to you because of a gatekeeper and the audience itself is a very exclusive class of the world Agreed. which can support you very nicely for the rest of your life but to a certain degree you have to meet their interests and mm. hopefully hopefully they don't care about and they just want to support you because they think it's true art whatever they are art aficionados and you get to make whatever art you let's say you get to make whatever art you want to make and you now have supporters but mm-hmm. uh this is the circumstances in which you're living right like you have uh, the uh, the means of accessing an audience is restricted the means of making money is restricted true now 20 years ago the first one first one dropped means of getting an audience opened up to everyone you mm-hmm. have the internet mm-hmm. then you have facebook then you have instagram now you have twitter and you have tiktok and you have all these things suddenly you don't galleries are irrelevant like True. frankly True. every True. year more and more irrelevant you anyone can build an audience no matter where they live geographically right and what's happened and what's happening before already but it has accelerated in the pandemic is that the final part has dropped 
now you can make money mm. you don't need a few people to pay you a lot of money now you can earn from all kinds of people micro transactions are a normal thing now mm. so what's this has given artists and all creatives of all kinds whether you write stories or poems or make drawings it has given you a lot of tools and possibilities now that you can reach but all of these possibilities come with responsibilities right right now you can reach an audience so now it is your job to reach an audience right. it is not the job of a gallery owner to guarantee you an audience true true now you can make sales to anybody now it's your job to make sales to everybody you can't expect a wealthy patron to come and be like hey i'm going to support you for the rest of your life just do whatever you want in your studio we want that freedom but i don't think everybody reckoned with having that responsibility and i have no business being an artist i am an artist because i really think i want to do this mm-hmm. so it is my job to think about all of these things i take all of these freedoms very seriously and i make it my job to think about how i'm going to thrive i don't do anything that i don't want to do so there's this aspect of it that oh you just suppose you're making art that sells you're not making art you want my job is to live inside that intersection of the thing i want to do and the thing that people will pay me for and it starts off as a narrow intersection but i keep pushing at the walls to make it bigger to get more space for myself so i can be comfortable here but i'm insistent on doing only those things this is also part of the freedom that now because i have access to everyone surely there are many people who care about me doing exactly what i want to do mm-hmm. who whose interests align perfectly with me i just have to find those people finding those people is still my job but once i find those people i get more and more license to do exactly what i want to do to be right. just the artist who is not always who is not necessarily thinking about i'm not going to make something that doesn't sell mm-hmm. that's not something you know that's not even you can't even succeed if you do that right you might think that oh some people are making art that just to sell and although know, they're selling but they're not really artists you can't really do that you can't work like that like you have to you can only work on your own internal motivations at some level they do want to make that art mm. i don't think it's possible for somebody to make things that they don't want to make simply because they're selling and to keep doing it like for years and i don't think okay. it works okay. like that okay do you reach that threshold after a point of time where you just you just tired yeah absolutely yes and you see that kind of burnout everywhere and there are lots of people by the way who that i think we were discussing it the other day as well that there are lots of people who do make art mm. just because someone else wants it we call them illustrators and designers Mm. that's it's a it's a legitimate job there's nothing wrong with that mm. but the job of the artist is a little bit different from that you have to still and i'm just sort of winging it like i don't know if it's different actually this is my opinion that i think it's your job to now offer a vision of some kind to present something that is new that is not necessarily asked for but you are putting out there and it is needed True. it has to be needed vincent van gogh didn't succeed because he didn't have access to an audience mm. maybe if he had access to an audience the way we do today he would have been a billionaire tiktoker or something like that but <laughs> he would have a blue tick for sure 
absolutely yes <laughs> unfortunately he only had access to whatever he could find in the netherlands mm-hmm. and a lot of things were uh, with firm gatekeepers of traditional art institutions that oh you don't have degree you are not allowed oh you don't do this like this you are not allowed and therefore he had to operate the way he did and suffer the way he did mm. and i think i think with so these possibilities today are so vast and being a cons- like being a very deliberate artist with a very uh, to to figure out your place in this new system is is part of the job so you know uh, going by your uh methodology let's call it right looking at things from a very system point of view right a very very uh, control systems point of view i think one thing which i'm kind of like if i have to simplify it i think one of the things that i'm seeing you nishant do is you are probably going out and sketching what you want to sketch like you said and then when it comes to the selling part of it you do the storytelling really well so that it sells on a different note so uh it's not that you're trying to sketch something probably you're trying to sketch wisconsin the way people in wisconsin want to see it you're actually doing it on your own the way you are looking at it but then when it comes to the actual pitching part that's where you are probably using your storytelling uh capabilities to kind of give it a twist and make it more basically make people look at it in a different light would that be a correct thing to say absolutely absolutely so i'm i i still every day i draw only exactly what i want to draw Mm-hmm. I lived in Chicago for 2 years I did not draw the skyscrapers of Chicago that's what you draw in Chicago it's a right. city of most beautiful skyscrapers I would I I haven't sketched in New York but I'm pretty sure I will not ever sketch the New York skyline right I will only do what I want to do that is my number one rule when I decided I would be a full time creative that now I'm going to do all the things that I want to do and nothing else mm. it's also my job now having this is my stubborn obstinate creative side that I'm only doing what I want to do with it comes the job it is now also my job to sell this it is also my job to get people to care mm. so if i want this license to do whatever i want to do i have to pay for the license and to do that i have to t- i tell these stories and i get people to care about this is the reason why you should care about this i care about this and i think you should because of so and so reason i care about these tiny people that i see outside the traffic light and isn't it lovely that these people all pass through our world and we don't really look at them you should look at them that part becomes my responsibility and it gives me the leeway to do exactly what i want to do and chase my enthusiasm nishant jain you are smart you are <laughs> very smart i have to say this you are very smart like i do love this uh, you know this combination of entrepreneurship along with creativity that you have brought about i'm really enjoying this this is actually honestly i'm, I'm and i really respect this because you can do that because i honestly feel that a lot of people probably don't think this way or don't try to go into this direction and i i have seen so many examples of that and possibly that's where you know the limitation comes in very quickly or probably you know the journey is very short it's not because you burn out because you burn out after a point of time because then you are like okay uh, probably you don't realize this responsibility and then probably it comes to a point where you are just trying to do it for the money and uh, not the reason why you started it at the beginning i yeah there's this a very unfortunate herd like thinking that 
that's so prevalent in a lot of especially when you know you have any industry in which the majority are doomed to suffer mm. like <laughs> art is never going to be an industry in which everybody makes a lot of money right it's not right. that kind of key oh you're an engineer so here's a salad like right. it's never really going to be like that for an artist a minority of artists are going to quote unquote make it Mm-hmm. but things are getting more and more generous now it's becoming more and more possible one of the things i really subscribe to is the 1000 true fans model and that's what i'm shooting towards and i think that's a theory of sustainability within the creator economy which i really i really really love that idea mm. but i think that because we uh, because so many artists suffer there is this idea that i just need to do some one thing and then that will work and that some one thing is what some successful person can tell me so if i just ape those things that they are doing and i do them surely i'll get somewhere and you seeing this everywhere you'll see this in illustration you'll see this in illustration styles once facebook makes oh. this style of illustration popular everybody is going to uh, make illustrations like that uh, you people copying caricature artists even in the nft space now you're seeing everybody like oh i need to put out a generative art collection i need to do pfps i need to come up with this i need to come up with this kind of visualize win something that in the 90s we had winamp visualizations i know I and know. people are putting that out as like oh please buy my nft why is nobody buying my nft it's because you're abdicating that responsibility like that freedom that you have you're willing to give it away just mm-hmm. please somehow endorse me and i'll do this thing Mm-hmm. i don't want to think about why it will work or how it will work you have to accept the freedom and then you have to accept the responsibility and then you have to take both of those to do something but because you're not used to this freedom idea we haven't gotten used to this responsibility idea this makes sense yeah this makes so much of sense and you know you're right it's it's pretty much everywhere where i see it and this whole uh, idea of okay uh, what is the formula to being viral right so and that's in today's context that's exactly what it is the formula to being viral that okay i'll make this one thing which will go everywhere and then i'll just reap the benefits out of that for the rest of whatever foreseeable future that i can think of right and i agree and you know i think that's also why i i never thought of it this way but now that you put it in this whole uh, uh, freedom and responsibility conversation the equation let's call it i think you know personally i am not ready for that responsibility because i've thought of this okay when will i call like uh, i'll quit my day job and i'll become a full time artist and all of that and deep down somewhere i know that i'm not ready for the responsibility right now maybe in future i will be maybe i'll have to build it that way but then mm-hmm. till then i think i will have to do this whole 50 50 business where i'm also trying to do this whereas i'm also trying to do that right uh, but i agree that day i have to take that jump is the day i should be ready for that responsibility wherein i'll have to have a lot more skills than what i currently have is what i personally feel uh, which which does make sense yeah which does make sense okay so nishant you know this has been a great conversation i would have to like slowly take it towards the end however but uh, one thing i would like to know from you because again uh, you are also a podcaster right you've been doing this and you've been having these wonderful conversations with so many uh really accomplished people by the way like to rob sketchem and like wow like i i have saved so many of his uh, illustrations on my instagram save list i i i don't even remember how many and this guy is such a beautiful style of just flawless and the colors he uses just vibrant and this 
and also the fact that he his canvas size is very weird i have seen it's never that square or that thing mm-hmm. he just actually flows very organically as long as he feels that he can capture that thing but anyhow uh, what is that one top uh, i don't know experience that you had or the conversation or the idea that you came across i leave it up to you okay i'm i'm keeping it open what is that one top moment that you had while doing your podcast and you know uh, where you were like okay this is definitely making the top of the list anything as such yeah sure and it's actually um, so the things that are really stand out are not mm-hmm. things that are specifically things that never occurred to me you know mm-hmm. it's not like oh my god i never thought of that mm-hmm. what really really amazes me and what's really gratifying to me are the things that i have thought of but mm-hmm. i thought hey that's silly that's just me no that can't be real uh-huh. that can't be something worth thinking about and then right. somebody corroborates it right the and then another person theory. corroborates it and then that tells me you know back yourself don't mm-hmm. don't dismiss your own ideas so those are the things that really the ones that resonate with other people are the ones that really matter to me so i'll tell you one specifically that has resonated with a lot of my guests and that really gives me a lot of courage and i hope it will your listeners also it's that nobody has a fixed plan so we look at an artist who's very successful you might look at rob sketchman for example from the outside if you look at it his work you might think that you, you if you think about how he got to where he is you'll paint a straight line picture that he did this he must have done that he must have learned colors he must have learned this 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 skills and now he is this person but it does not count for the number of accidents right and uh, mistakes and uh detours and all the random things that happened that turned him into the person he is mm. and this is something that i find from all my guests and it's starting to become a question i ask them that you know we have this image of you simply manifesting yourself as this artist and coming to us because that's right. how you came into my life on instagram right. as rob sketchman as paul heaston but this is a static one dimensional image that's not who you are how did you become who you are Mm. and that answer is always accidents that answer is always chasing curiosity just a little bit more than people around them so right. not giving up drawing when at that age that everybody gave up drawing mm-hmm. not giving up on an idea at that age when everybody was moving to that other idea mm-hmm. just a bit of obstinacy a bit of being your own person and sort of like you know like opportunity knocks but you have to be ready to open the door sort of thing like Right. You will get chances. You just have to be ready for them, and being ready for them means not stopping doing the things you want to do or the things right. that you like doing. And that's what I've taken away from most of them: that they just they stayed the course, and then something happened, and then something happened, and then something happened. But they were always there for it. you know this very thing nishad it it kind of gives me hope because i also sometimes when you know in those moments when you are feeling low because you're like oh i want to do this why isn't it happening right it seems like it's so close right and it's it's just not happening uh, i think those are the moments when i tell this exact thing to myself and i feel this becomes like a formula that you tend to tell yourself that exists especially in these times when things are very abstract and dark when you don't know okay i want to be that I, how will i go there i don't know things are working but not at the rate that i would want them to and probably you feel uh, should i quit 
thankfully that thought never comes to me at this point of time but then that's the whole thing that you know just stick to it and yeah, yeah just be ready so, like uh, this is the the bad news is that there is no formula to become a successful artist uh, 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 the exactly. good news is that there is no formula to become a successful right. artist that's the, uh, that's why you people like you and i are in this having this conversation today about art like people with absolutely no let's call it qualification in art as such right and that's exactly the reason why because there's no formula I absolutely agree absolutely agree okay so uh, with this uh, with this nishant i will probably ask you my last question which i have been asking a bunch yeah. of my guests and i i i am looking forward to a very interesting answer from you because you've been giving me very interesting perspectives <laughs> so far okay uh, so what has art taught you okay um art has taught me that very ordinary things make up a very beautiful world hmm. you don't have to be in a special place at a special time with beautiful people in order to make beautiful art hmm. very everyday things whatever wherever part of the world you're at you look out the window and there's art and it's this is my actually this ties into my second definition of what is sneaky art i told you that it was first me being sneaky hmm. trying to get away with a drawing without nobody without oh, anybody seeing so me the art being sneaky and being around you the art is what is sneaky is what i've learned ah, that yeah. it's right there it's at that next door cafe it's at the street intersection just these people trying to dodge the rain it's hmm. sneaky you don't see it until you see it but it's always right there and you have to give yourself the time to look at it you know what's beautiful about this whole uh, conversation so far nishant uh, while i kept noticing you as a very objective person trying to look at things as zeros and ones and inputs and outputs you are also you also have the balance of you know uh, contrasting it with or oh, just look around things are not just zeros and ones there's something more than that even if it's ordinary right so that's a beautiful balance which i rarely see in people yeah like uh, whereas one side is very objective the other side not subjective but again trying to look forward to something which probably is there and most people are forgetting to notice on that case and i genuinely think that is what urban sketching brings to you again going back to our starting point right i genuinely feel because from the day i started doing this thing called urban sketching or just just looking at things and drawing i did start to notice these tiny corners and you know and that, that, you know really that that improved my photography as well i i do i do like taking photos okay and never of people i don't take photos of people like portraits or you know what are they posed photos or something i love doing street photography for some reason and ever since i started this urban sketching deal i have found my street photography scene also becoming so much better because i feel my compositions are so much better and yeah. i just have to take a walk down the regular street that's it and i can probably if i'm lucky i find something and by if i'm lucky i mean if i'm lucky to be able to look at things the way uh, they should be looked at beautiful yeah beautiful yeah, absolutely I'm I'm so happy I saved because again this this podcast this season one is coming to an end in two more episodes and I'm so happy I kept this conversation for the last because this is such a good wholesome you know thought provoking conversation and I'm so happy we could have this uh, and I, I'm very sure a lot of my listeners would uh, be really happy with this conversation as well because 
it did make me think in a lot of cases and i was looking forward to that and i honestly cannot look uh, cannot wait to our next conversation maybe in a podcast or not form that doesn't matter but the this this discussion was uh, or you know in bengal as we call it adda right this this adda that we had was a very uh, was a, was one of the good ones was really one of the good ones thank you yeah. thank you so much for that nishan this is i'm i'm glad really thank you so much it. for having me like it's i i learn more from from expressing myself so thank you i'm i'm glad this could work out for you so thank you so much nishan then all the best for you know uh, your storytelling skills more than anything else because i feel where you are headed and what you are doing probably storytelling is way more important than any other skill for you in that case i uh-huh. i hope you kind of do this even better and probably you know you make some great pieces of art and probably end up you know selling them as well because let's face it you do need the like we do need the money that's that's how things uh-huh. are so thank you yeah, so yeah. much for this conversation i loved it thank you yeah thank you all right so that was nishan jain uh as mentioned uh, his podcast is called the sneaky art podcast it is of course everywhere else like as in your spotify's and your google podcast your apple podcast you wherever you want uh do make sure to check them out uh, he does these amazing conversations and, and i've always been very envious of his guests okay always but uh but yeah i'm, I'm happy that he has them because again i get to listen to this uh, to these conversations as well i will of course uh, post all the links uh, related to this conversation on the show notes so you can have a look and uh, yeah i really hope you enjoyed this and i hope this uh, you know made you think about certain things and uh, yeah with that i will see you again next week two more episodes to go after which i will be taking a short break but yeah still two more episodes to go so we'll make it count thank you so much for tuning in and i will see you next week